Saints Hill, how are we doing? Nice, I heard it over there. I heard it. Hey, it's been an absolute joy to follow your journey from afar. Um, I would love to be here on Sundays. I'm usually busy, so I can't be. But I follow the podcast, and it has been just an absolute um, delight to hear um, what's happening here, to follow along. And um, what a great series I've been following the church that Jesus longs for. And before we even open the scriptures, we're going to be in Colossians 3, but before we get there, um, Alex, I heard you mention on the podcast a while back a word that I believe that Andoni had, or maybe Andoni was sharing it or something, but it was this prophetic word that I thought was just absolutely spot on for who this church is, your identity, and not only that, but who you're becoming. And it was that you were the engagement, I think I got this right, the engagement ring on the bride of Christ. What a beautiful image. And when I heard that, it deeply resonated with me. I believe that there's something happening here, something beginning here that is unique and special. And it is in some ways maybe small, like an engagement, like the diamond on an engagement, for most of us, the diamond on the engagement ring, but it's very, very special. And not only that, I think it's symbolic. I think there's going to be massive influence that comes out of what happens here. What an incredible story. So turn with me, Colossians chapter 3. We're going to jump right into this. Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. Um, So much to be said, but we're just going to kind of jump right in. I mean, Alex set it up well with the context there. Paul, in one of his letters, writing to a, uh, a people where he'd been, he, he helped plant the church. Now he's on the road, and he's writing these letters to solve problems, to instruct, to exhort. And um, we jump right into this. So can, can I just, uh, can we read this? I'll read it. You just listen. Colossians 3, starting in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Do a little thought experiment with me. Um, Think of a friend of yours who is not a follower of Jesus yet. And um, if you went to them, imagine asking them this question. Imagine um, two cities, you say to your friend. You're just like, hey, imagine two cities. They're like, okay. And you're like, go ahead and just name them. And they're like, I don't know, Sherwood and Newburgh. Like, perfect. So imagine these two cities, towns, maybe, Sherwood and Newburgh. Now imagine, picture one city 
that looks like the characteristics and the activities that we read a couple of verses. I'll read this to you, but imagine a city that's known for these attributes that Paul's going to list, okay? So you're asking your friend, you're like, hey, Bill, imagine two cities, and imagine the first one looks like this. It's full of the earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. So kind of picture that city. Let's start with Sherwood. That's this one, okay? <laughs> this is a thought experiment, okay? Imagine it full of these things. It's full of idolatry. It's full of wrath. It's full of anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. And it's a place where people lie to one another. So imagine that. Got it? Your friend's like, yeah, I got it. And then you're like, okay, now I want you to imagine another one. This other city that you called Newburgh. Now imagine this. It's a place where people feel chosen. Holy, set apart, dearly loved. They're full, the the city and the people, the culture of that place is full of compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. People are forgiving of one another. If there's even a need to, but if there is, they will. It's a place where people feel covered in love. And there's a unity there. There's a peace there. It's a place where people are constantly thinking of new ways to praise one another, to lift one another up. They're singing songs. They're walking down the street of this city singing songs of gratitude. I know it's kind of weird, but just imagine that, right? It's a place that's just covered with love. So your friend is now picturing these two cities. And if you said to your friend, not a follower of Jesus, just person. And you said to them, well, well, which of these would you rather live in? It would probably be pretty obvious, but maybe they're like, well, hey, hold on, hang on. In that, you know, I want to make sure that is there freedom of, you know, I don't want to be in the repressed. This one sounds really good, but I want to be in some, you know, sexually repressed city. You know, you, you, you can't. And you're like, no, 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 no. This is a place where sexuality is beautiful and there's humor and there's life. And they're like, okay, 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 okay. Clearly, I would pick the second city. I would pick to live in the city you call Newburgh. They concede and they're like, yeah, that's where I would live. So in that little experiment right there, the the answer of which city they would rather live in, and this is not even a follower of Jesus, just even in this moment, in our post-Christian, secular, cultural moment that we're in right now, most people would agree, follower of Jesus, secular, whatever, most people would agree that a city that was known with those attributes would be actually a delightful place to live. And, and I think that um, that's honestly what the world wants. I think that's what the people, I don't know that many people in Newburgh, but I think that's what the people of Newburgh actually want. And I think they would even admit it. Most people want these kingdom values, but without the king. So um, if you look at culture, you go, okay, so if, if most people want this, how, how is culture at large, how's Western culture right now doing at living up to this kind of dream and this ideal? Well, I think we're doing pretty poorly, right? 
If you look around and if you pay any attention to the news or if you're on Twitter, like we're not really killing it in compassion and love and forgiveness, are we? We're actually fabulous at, and I say we, Western culture is fabulous in this moment at gossip, at destroying one another, at exploiting our enemy's faults through online public shaming. Like that's what we're actually really good at. But when we come to this text and we think about the New Testament and the teachings of Jesus, the teaching of the apostles, there is this idea that this Christian ideal, this moral ethic, this atmosphere that we could live in, there's this idea from scripture that this really is realistic. That that it's possible to live in a community of grace and compassion and forgiveness. But I think even as followers of Jesus, we would say, this is really hard. This is super hard. So in Paul's grounded in the realistic struggle that we all experience, Paul, I think in this text, gives us a few keys into how we can actually move forward, maybe even break through into a new reality of this lifestyle, the lifestyle of compassion forgiveness and love that he describes here. And he basically, I think, gives us two keys. The first one is identity, which I know is new for you guys here at Saints Hill. Is that all right if we go there? We're gonna talk about identity. Is that okay? And then the second one is the power of the Spirit. So these are the two themes that I think Paul is constantly talking about, and you've heard about that here. I know that's one of the values here. Identity and also the power of the Spirit. So let's begin with identity, can we? Like I said, I know this is new. You guys know my identity. What's that? I wish Alex would ever talk about that. (laughs) So it's really interesting. This is where Paul starts often in his letters because this is where God started in creation with Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve were made in the garden, it was declared over them that they were made in God's image. The Bible opens with this strong identity statement. They reflect God. So that's, that's crazy, right? If Adam forgets what God's like, he turns over and looks at Eve. And she reflects back to him this relational beauty that's supposed to remind him, reflect of what God is like. It's amazing. And then when Jesus steps on the scene, when he's baptized in Matthew chapter 4, there's this other incredible Trinitarian moment when the Spirit rests on the Son And the father declares over Jesus the word that every soul longs to hear. He says, this is my child in whom I'm well pleased. Even Jesus needs his identity spoken over him. And and we learn in that moment right there as we're thinking about how does God speak identity? Because it's going to lead to where we are tonight. We learn that identity has to come from heaven. It's not from our friends. It's not from our world. It's not even from deep inside ourselves, right? It has to come from the Father. And remember this. If you know who the Father is, you will know who you are. If the Father is compassionate, if he's loving, if he's forgiving, and you are a child, you're a descendant of him, you carry his DNA, then you'll be like him. So what does Paul say about identity right here? I love this. This is amazing. The first thing he says Right off the bat in this chapter, in this portion, he says, you are God's chosen people. 
This has to do with being elect for salvation. The Bible says that you are chosen before the foundations, before creation, God knew about you and he chose you to be saved, to be rescued from the power, the presence, the effects of sin. And, and what's incredible about that is this idea of being chosen also connects to another theological idea that Paul hounds on, which is adoption. And think about adoption in our terms, right? Adoption in our day and age means that a couple, usually a couple, goes and through a process of picking a child, they actually decide if they want a boy or if they want a girl, right? Well, what a radical idea that God actually picked you for salvation. And then so Paul takes this idea, okay, you're chosen, you're elect, you're chosen for salvation to be forgiven in Christ. And then he modifies that in two ways. The first way is he says that you're holy. When he speaks to this group of believers, he says, you're God's chosen people, you're holy. You're declared without sin, holy ones. This is Saints Hill. You guys, the name of this church embodies this idea that you are holy ones. It's a massive part of your identity and my identity. And then he says something else that has just been kind of fascinating me this week as I've been meditating and preparing. He says, God's holy, excuse me, God's chosen people who are holy. And then he modifies it with another phrase. And he says, and who are dearly loved. That's a good one, right? We are the beloved of God. That's kind of good. And what this taps into, this fascinating idea of God the Father as a source of love. Now think about this for a second. <clears throat> and actually, this is going to be fun. You can turn to your neighbor and answer this question. But you got to get way out there. Okay, are you guys with me? You're just going to go out, out a little bit further. Okay, ready? What was God the Father doing before creation. Turn to your neighbor, ready, go. What was God the Father doing before creation? Okay, go ahead and wrap that thought up. I know there's some amazing things being said out there. I heard a lot of I don't knows. Okay, so think about this. What was God the Father doing before creation? John 17 says the Father was loving the Son. That's crazy. God the Father has been eternally delighting in the Son. Loving and delighting in Jesus. An author I've been reading about the Trinity, Michael Reeves, puts it this way. And follow me on this. This is amazing theology. He says, while the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father, there's a very definite shape to their relationship. Overall, the Father is the lover and the Son is the beloved. And the shape of that father-son relationship begins a gracious cascade, like a waterfall of love. As the father is the lover and the head of the son, so the son is the lover and the head of the church. 
As the Father has loved me, so I love you, the Son says. And therein lies the goodness of the gospel. As the Father is the lover and the Son, the beloved, so Christ becomes the lover and the church, the beloved. So Christ becomes the lover and the church, the beloved. Friends, you are the dearly beloved of Christ. The eternal, never-ending love of the Father is poured out on you by Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And your truest identity, who you are before you're anything else, is the beloved of God. Friends, may there be nothing tonight in this moment that interferes with this. And we just want to pause right here and we're going to just open up to just listen to the Spirit, create some space just to hear what God wants to say about that. God, we just ask that in this space, in this moment right now, you would silence the voice of the enemy. He has no right to speak about our identities. God, would you just silence distraction? And God, what do you want me to know about being your beloved. We'll just wait, and we just believe that God, through the thoughts in your mind, you have the mind of Christ, his thoughts mingled with your thoughts right now in this moment. God, what do you want us to know about that? We'll just wait. And I just had a sense that for some of you, this is difficult to accept. So God, right now in this moment, for friends that need breakthrough in this, God, they want to believe this. God, is there any lies that they've believed that are like blocking this reality from sinking deep into their soul? God, would you just expose any lies of the enemy? We believe that you want to do something right now, a work of freeing, a work of breakthrough. God, is there any lies that we're believing about our identity that blocks us from receiving the reality that we are the beloved? And then, God, we ask as you're highlighting those things right now that you would remove them in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, now we invite you in this moment. Part of your job, according to Romans chapter 5, is that, Spirit, you actually press into our hearts the love of God. So right now, together, we welcome you, Holy Spirit, again. Would you press down into our hearts the love of God? God, thanks for what you are doing and would you continue to work as we talk tonight? You guys okay? Yeah. That's good. Sometimes we need to do that. Yeah. We need to stop and, and hear from God in that way. Great. So with that in mind, Paul then says, 
in light of who you are, this is what I want you to do. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And when I saw that list, I probably thought what you might be thinking as well, which is that sounds exactly like the fruit of the Spirit. So remember, if you know what the Father is like, you know what you are like. So he says, put on these attributes like a coat. Clothe yourselves in these. Rid yourself of anger, malice, filthy talk. Rid yourself of that and then put on these. Put on the fruit of the Spirit. This is actually what it looks like in our lives and our community and in Newburgh when we walk in step with the Spirit, filled by the Spirit. We're people of compassion. We're kind. We're humble. We're gentle. We're patient. That's all this is. And, and we know, you know, I know, this is impossible to do without the power of the Spirit. Training is good. We train our minds to accept the good thoughts from God and reject lies. And, and we practice that and we train that. And we analyze. I love hearing Alex teach about this. We, we, every thought that comes in, we're like, is this? No, put it away. We, we do all of that, taking thoughts captive by the help of the Spirit. And, and this is why the culture around us, this is why Western culture can't create communities of truth, love, and self-control. They're missing this transformation by the Spirit through the love of God and the presence of Jesus. So these are commands we want to embrace as we embrace the Holy Spirit because we actually can live this out. So next he, um, those, and those are a little bit more ambiguous, right? You're like, be more kind. You're like, I will be more kind. Be more compassionate. I want to do that. It's a little bit squishy, right? But then he, he leans in a little bit and now he gets, um, gives us an actual, like very action-oriented next step. In verse 13, he says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive them. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So now this is getting a little harder. First it was like, yeah, okay, fruit of the Spirit, I like that. I'm gonna get filled with the Spirit, I'm gonna go be nice, I love it. And then he's like, now I want you to think about, and do this for a moment. Think about someone that has hurt you, recently maybe. And this could be from somebody that uh, got upset with you in traffic, gave you a signal or something out the window. This could be um, a, a, a disagreement with a spouse or a loved one. This could be deeper still, right? Paul's pushing us deeper into who we are and who he wants the community to be. So think, keep that, just think about that for a minute. And you know, we got this great definition from Gary Bashir's over at Western Seminary of forgiveness. So just let me say this and then we're gonna work back through it. Forgiveness. It's the process of releasing someone who hurt me from my personal right to pay back the offense. Then, I wish he would stop there, but then it's absorbing the evil and with God's help, transforming it for good. So number one, first part of forgiveness in this definition is, okay, what does it mean to forgive? It's like, yeah, we forgive. What, what are we actually talking about? First, release them from payback. So um, I remember years ago, remember the analogy of breaking the lamp, Alex? This is a good one. Um, I invite Alex over, the tables have turned, over to my house. We're hanging out. He's, we're having a good time. He gets up. He's, we're all sitting. He stands up to tell a story. And when you're in a social environment and everybody's sitting down and then someone stands up to tell a story, you're like, whoa, all right? 
This is going to be good, right? He gets excited. He knocks over my lamp. It's from Ikea. And he knocks it over and it is done. It's broken. Right? So to release him from the debt he owes me is to say, Alex, you broke my lamp, but you don't have to repay me. He incurred a debt through his wrongdoing and I release him. Okay, step one. Step two, absorb the evil or the offense. So the way I absorb that is there is a cost that is incurred. It's not a lot. It's $29.99 or whatever, plus the bulb, but there's a cost. So I've released him, and now I am going to absorb that evil myself. I'm going to go, and it's a long way to go to Ikea. I'm going to go back to Ikea, and I'm going to buy the lamp. I've absorbed it. But step three is transforming it for good. What if not only do I go, hey, man, don't even worry about it. You're released. Don't worry about it. You don't have to buy that. I'll buy it. But then what even in that moment, I took it a step further, and I said, and Alex, in front of everybody, by the way, it's, it's much easier when it's in my head, but in reality, it's a little bit harder. But what even in that moment, I transformed it for good, and I used it as a moment to just prophetically say to Alex, and Alex, remember, this is nothing I forgive you. This is nothing. But just remember, man, we are celebrating that God has forgiven you of everything. This little thing right here, this is nothing. All this is is a reminder of the great magnitude. Man, I'm trying my best. But the great magnitude of what God has done, I transform it for good. That, my friends, is the full cycle of forgiveness. So now think about this for a minute. Recall some offense that you've experienced recently. Maybe it was driving, maybe it was a cutting remark. Bring it to mind. And then remember how you felt, right? Maybe angry, personally offended, defensive. Maybe you felt vengeful. You wanted to, you were wronged and you wanted to turn that back and wrong the other. And then think for a minute of how in that moment you felt towards that other. Anger, bitter, And and then now for a minute, shift gears and consider that person as a beloved child of God. If you could imagine God delighting over them, and then maybe even the person that's hurt you so badly, maybe take a moment and think about their upbringing. Think about the times that they've been hurt. Maybe this difficult situation that they encountered growing up. Maybe right before they gave you the signal in traffic or yelled at you, they had actually been yelled at. Someone had verbally blasted them for no reason and they were so hurt and out of that, then they turned on you. If you, for a minute, consider that person in that light, what you're doing is you're allowing God to create empathy for that person. And I think that's what Paul is tapping into here. When Paul talks about forgiveness, he's saying, first consider your own experience. Man, we have been all forgiven of so much. Would you agree? Man, I don't even know you guys, and I know you've been forgiven of a lot, right? We all have been. That's the human condition. And I think what Paul is getting at here 
is he's saying, remember what God has done for you and now have empathy on the other that you might forgive them. You see, empathy brings us a massive step forward in forgiving. When you sit for a minute in the seat of another and see things from their point of view and you begin to identify with them as a fellow human, this can lead to genuine compassion, realizing that we're all the same under our skin. We all share humanity. We're all made in God's image. And when someone hurts us, what I tend to do and what you maybe do is I think of all the negative things that person has ever done. They've probably never done anything good. And I basically villainize them and I turn them into a monster, right? But the reality is, I think there are people in here tonight that God wants to release you. You've been bound in bitterness. You've been bound in unforgiveness. And I think there's a breakthrough for you here tonight. And I want you to hear this. The person that hurt you is a human just like you. And they're a mixed bag of desires. Some good, some not, just like you. And in their true self and their true identity, God wants to show you that they're a lot like you. You see, compassion and empathy are essential to begin to release real forgiveness. This, this empathic understanding, it doesn't make the inexcusable behavior right, but it makes it a little bit more understandable. So, so what does it look like? to be um, the type of person that releases, that not only that, but blesses and as a gift gives forgiveness to your offender. Well, I think it looks like this description of being a chosen one, a holy one, a deeply loved one. And I just want to pause for a minute and just let's ask the Spirit again. Spirit of God, we just welcome you in this space again. And we just ask right now, is there anybody that I haven't forgiven? Is there anybody that I've been harboring forgiveness toward? Maybe even I thought I forgave them, but now you're bringing them to mind, God. And God, as, as we've been thinking about forgiveness in these past couple minutes, I sense that you're kind of melting you're melting the, the ice that's been around my heart towards this person. And so God, now as I've thought about them, I ask that you would begin to help me release them. God, would you come by your spirit right now and help us release that person? God, would you begin to move in my heart that I could even bless that person, that I could even want their good. God, you say if I haven't forgiven someone, then you don't forgive me. And so I want to I wanna be free, God. I want to be free of all unforgiveness. Come, Holy Spirit, release us as we release them, we pray. Amen. So as Paul concludes this section, 
He basically describes what this community will look like. What will it look like to live out our identities, empowered by the Spirit, being people who actually practice this kind of forgiveness? What would that look like? Well, you'll be the kinds of people that let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You won't be anxious. You'll be people of peace. People that are not run by worry. And you will be thankful. You will be looking for every at any opportunity to give thanks. You'll be the kind of people that are walking around singing songs of gratitude. Saints Hill is to be a place where people teach, and I think it really is, teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, walking around the streets of Newburgh with gratitude in your hearts. When you live out your identity, You'll be a people where everything that you do, whether at work or play, everything that you do, whether in word or in deed, will be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. And you'll be giving thanks all the while to God the Father through him. So as we kind of conclude tonight, I want you to again remember the towns that we talked about at the beginning, particularly the town that was described with all those attributes, compassion, forgiveness, gratitude. You see, because that is actually the call that God has on this church. The scripture says, Paul says in Philippians, that we are to be, as a community gathered here, we're to be a colony of heaven on earth. What that means is, this gathering, you, each of you, working together with the the spirit of God pulsating through your body. You are a microcosm of heaven in Newburgh for the city to see. You're a taste of what's to come. Did you know that? You're a city, a little city within a city. And see, one day, all of Newburgh and all of the Northwest and all of the world will be full of love centered around King Jesus. But for now, there are these little colonies like Saints Hill and Bridgetown, these little outposts of heaven. You see, Saints Hill, you are already the church that God longs for. And what you might not know is you're also the church that this city longs for. So may you, Saints Hill, walk in your identity filled with the Spirit, pouring out forgiveness to each other. May you be a city on a hill, shining for all to see. Let's pray.